It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we've got an interesting show going on today. We're going to start coming up in a little bit with um, the best-selling author of The Darkest Minds, which was also made into a movie. And she has some other series as well, but she has a new standalone book called Lore. Her name is uh, Alexandra, or Alex Bracken, and uh, she'll be joining us coming up after the first break. Then we're going to turn to uh, author Jack Kenfield, who many people might know from the uh, best-selling series he did, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Well, he's teamed up with uh, writer Miriam Laundry, and they've come up with an uplifting children's book called I Can Believe in Myself. And... Uh, We're going to talk about that, and then uh, we're going to wrap things up with uh, Joan Gelfin. Now, she was on the show a couple of months ago, and we talked a little bit about writing and writing styles and so on, but she has a novel out. We're going to talk about her novel. It's called Extreme, a novel. Joan Gelfin is her name, and she'll be uh, joining us in the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. But before we get into all of that... It seems kind of important to acknowledge uh, the events of yesterday in Washington and uh, the events of last night in Washington. Um, we, we talked a little bit about what was going to be going on on Armchair Politics and with Brendan Beery in the first hour, but uh, who knew that a uh, group of ne'er-do-wells would storm and actually breach the Capitol building And so we're going to just acknowledge that a little bit. We'll dig into it a lot more tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with former White House staffer Mark Everson. He'll join me on the show by phone, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, 
the events of, of uh, yesterday. But um, for those of you, for some reason, who don't know, uh, yesterday uh, Congress met at the Capitol to uh, go through a process of uh, affirming the results of the Electoral College. There were some challenges planned, and um, some demonstrators um, literally stormed the Capitol building and made their way in. And if I have time, I'll, I'll try and squeeze it in here real quick. We have a couple of uh, couple of statements. Um, Congressman uh, Dan Kildee, who is Chief Deputy Whip of the House uh, Democratic Caucus and our congressman from the Flint area, said democracy has prevailed despite the president inciting violence and angry pro-Trump mobs storming the U.S. Capitol. Congress has certified the results of the 2020 election. And then I also heard from, uh, by email from uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow, she said, a day that began with a brazen and dangerous attack on our democracy has ended with a sign of its endurance. Congress returned to work and validated the election of Joe Biden as our next president and Kamala Harris as our next vice president. Michigan's votes were counted and voices were heard. I am grateful to law enforcement officers who keep us safe every day and ensured that we could fulfill our constitutional duty. Anyway, it seems uh, appropriate to at least uh, acknowledge the events of yesterday. I'm going to do that with uh, a little soundbite featuring sitting Vice President Mike Pence, who uh, the president tried to get to uh, turn things around, but he stuck to his uh, constitutional duty and limits and uh, did exactly what he was supposed to do. Anyway, we'll hear from him but sandwiched by a couple of appropriate songs from local artists. Uh, just a way to uh, continue to acknowledge the rich talent pool in and from Flint and the surrounding area. And uh, a little hat tip to the VP for uh, carrying out his uh, constitutional duty with um, panache, actually. Uh, all things considered, it was a strange day. Anyway, lots more straight ahead. Nobody was really sure if he was from the house of Lord. 
today, oh boy. The English army had just won the war. A crowd of people turned away. But I just had to look, having read the Notice I was late. Grab my coat, grab my hat, made the books and seconds flat. By my way, says, and I had a smoke. Somebody spoke, and I went into a dream. appointed to vote for President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. 
The announcement of the state of the vote by the President of the Senate shall be deemed a sufficient declaration of the persons elected President and Vice President of the United States, each for the term beginning on the 20th day of January 2021, and shall be entered together with the list of the votes on the journals of the Senate and the House of Representatives. Oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, for Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com.
Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Darkest Minds series um, and the Passenger series as well. It uh, Darkest Minds, of course, made into a blockbuster movie. Um, her name is Alexandra Bracken. Her friends call her Alex, which I'm going to try to do. And uh, the new book is uh, reported to be a one-off, but we'll find out from Alex in just a moment, The Future of Lore, which is the name of her new book. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, and also, Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, Alex. Glad to hear, glad to hear you say that, and glad to have you on the show. Um, did I say the name of the book right? It's Lore, not Laurie, right? Right, it's Lore. It's a play on um, the word lore for legend. So Lore is also the main character, but I had a lot of fun with that double meaning. Yeah, I was going to say the the thing was. Now, are you sure it's a one-off? I always have this feeling that uh, you know writers sit down, write a book, and they get to the end and go, "But wait, there's more." You know what? NYA is kind of notorious for the trilogy, the duology, the multi-book series. Yeah. But actually, this book has always been a standalone story in my mind, and I do not have any plans to continue it. Like maybe one day I'll come back to the world, but it wouldn't be from Thor's perspective. If you guys are, if everyone out there is looking for a read that wraps itself up and hopefully is a satisfying story, I think this is the book for you. And and I want to ask about the world because it's it's set in a, in a way in New York. Yes, it is set, even though it deals with Greek mythology, it's set in our modern-day world. It's sort of, in my mind, I had originally thought it would be set in 2020, but then the pandemic happened, and so in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe it's set in 2019 or 2018. <laughs> but it's set in modern-day New York City, but it um, it deals with sort of like ancient Greek gods and beings and practices being brought into our modern world and kind of seeing how those two cultures clash. Now, are they the actual gods or are they descendants of? It's almost like there's there are family lines that have continued. Yes. So the story is centered on Laura, the main character, as we've discussed. Um, she's grown up in kind of like a cult-like Spartan-esque secret society of hunters, and those hunters are all descended from some of the ancient world's greatest heroes, like Achilles or in Lord's case, Perseus. And every seven years for seven days, these families have this like special task, this special hunt that they participate in. And they are hunting nine of the Greek gods who are being punished by Zeus. And if like one of these hunters can kill a god, they can take that god's power and immortality, but then they become hunted in the next hunt themselves. So there are actual Greek gods on the page. Athena is one of the main characters of the book. And I had a lot of fun writing her and kind of trying to imagine how these like larger than life personalities would navigate the modern world. Now, this is um, both interesting and a little confusing to me. Um, every <laughs> seven years, there is this hunt and by... Um, by a person's performance in the hunt, they can become a god. Um, yeah. And, and they're hunting people who've been gods in the past but are f forced 
to be to live as humans. So can a human well, a ever regain? I will admit that. <laughs> can can the humans so, ever survive the hunt and regain their status as gods? Well, so this is the tricky part. Or is, is there a spoiler there alert a, there? No, I know. I'm like trying to think of how to explain it without spoiling too much. So there are a couple of original gods. Um, left in the story that appear on the page. And then you have what are known as new gods, which are um, hunters who have ascended and taken godlike powers on. And both the original gods and these new gods ultimately are hunted. So these hunters are raised to think that this is like the ultimate glory um, that you can achieve. But obviously that's like a very big catch that if you do get this power and you do get this immortality, you lose it that one week. And in that one week, you're incredibly vulnerable and you need your family to protect you. And then during the years between the hunt, you can give your family, you know, great godly gifts and like bring a lot of prosperity into their lives. So there are some like really big draws into temporarily kind of becoming a god, but obviously you have a target on your back every seven years and that's not easy to cope with. Now, is that an Alexandra Bracken creation, or did that come somehow from um, rituals of Greek mythology? So this is a completely Alex Bracken invention, although they call this hunt the Agone, which is an Agone in ancient Greek times was like really any sort of struggle or competition or contest. It usually was kind of like an athletic competition. Um and it forms the root of the word like agony, for example, and protagonist and antagonist, because it can also, Agon, um, Agon is also like this fictional struggle between a protagonist and an antagonist within a fictional work. But I really tried to, like one of the things I thought was always so interesting when I was younger and even now as an adult is that the punishments in Greek mythology often fit the crux like fit the crime and have like a little bit of a twist to them. So I was like, what would be, you know, these gods have essentially betrayed Zeus and he is really angry at them and they're desperately trying to cling onto their power and their prominence, even as the world is changing and they're losing control over their land to a new God, a different God. And so he decides to make them mortal and to essentially give them this like really tough existence. Um, so I just had like a lot of fun trying to use elements that are in the mythology, but to try to put my own spin on them. You were uh, born in Arizona, but you came east to study at William and Mary in uh, Virginia. You published your first book while still in college. Did I read that right? Yes, I sold my very first book my senior year of college. So i I've been writing for a while. Um, after I graduated college, I ended up working in the publishing industry as kind of my day job while writing my own books at night. Now I'm lucky enough to be able to write full time and get to really live in these story worlds while I'm drafting. Why, um, why get the job in publishing? Uh, if you had already sold a book, it seems like it would have been possible to just continue writing right out of college. Or was that your time as a mortal? 
<laughs> yes, that's a perfect way to put it. it was, my time is immortal. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I graduated in 2009. So I was coming, I was graduating pretty much a year after the 2008 recession when it was really tough to get a job. The economy was not good. Uh, Publishers were not paying a ton of money for books. So my first book advance, and this is true for many, many authors, like you really only hear about these huge first advances that, you know, so many publishing houses were bidding on, like you hear the really like big money stories. But the truth is like most authors when they're starting out do not make that much money. And it's definitely not enough money to live on, um, especially after taxes, and then your agent gets a cut. So I needed I knew I needed to have a day job that, you know, gave me health insurance that would allow me to save my advance money when I was selling books to eventually have enough savings to feel comfortable to write full time. So it took took about five years to get there, but it was worth it. And like I said, I feel really lucky that I can dedicate all of my time to writing, but I also have this experience of having worked in the industry and kind of seen behind the scenes. I, I've teased um, David Baldacci because his first, uh, his first successful published novel got made into a major motion picture. And, yeah. and, you know, how often does that happen? You know, right out of the shoot, the first book, and it's got Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman and, you know, all these big names in it. And and I've always teased him about that a little bit um, by saying people return your calls, don't they? <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, and, and I kind of want to twist that question around a little bit because... You've all you've already had a book make it to the big screen. Um, what what is that like for a writer? Oh, you know, it was a really. I keep saying the word surreal, it, but like maybe interesting is a better word for it. So I, this, the Darkest Minds was optioned for film, which is basically a production company buying the exclusive right to eventually buy the rights, if that makes sense. It's like a very weird Hollywood thing. Um, so it was option. It's like putting a book in layaway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so no one else can have it, but you don't know if you really want to keep it yet. <laughs> it's that kind of a philosophy. So um, it was option in 2011. And this was during, as you said, my mortal years where I was like, I will take the money. Um, because it is, it feels like free money almost when the book is optioned because you don't have to earn back that money to royalties or anything like that. It's really just like someone, you know, it's a non-refundable deposit. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so it's like, who wouldn't say yes? But, you know, all along so much YA material was being optioned at that time that my editor or my agent was like, you know, this is so great. I'm so excited for you. But like, you know, it's very rare for any of these options to eventually be made into film. So all of these years, I am like, okay, like as long as they keep optioning it, that's fine. Like even if they don't ultimately do anything with it. And then to my utter surprise, they actually made the movie. And this was, you know, the book, The Darkest Minds came out in 2012 and the film came out in 2018. So it took them a really long time to get around to making it. Um, But it was really like a fascinating insight, like Hollywood. um, Hollywood is just such a strange place. It's I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's like not real, but it's like, 
you know, I words fail me as a writer. That's how weird it is. <laughs> but it was really cool, and it was really um, just remarkable to see these characters brought to life through actors and to meet the people, like the costume designer and the sound editor and all of these people who are dedicating months of their lives into making the film happen. It was a very special experience. And as I said, also very weird. Was it... Did it depict at all what you pictured in your mind writing the book, the characters, the locations, the clothes, all of those elements that go into, you know, um, bringing a story to life? You know, the kind of unfortunate thing that happens when books are adapted to film, and it's I feel like it's kind of rare that this doesn't happen, but like the book has to be really streamlined in order to fit that new format. And so there were certain aspects of the book that I was, I really regretted them essentially kind of shaving off in order to, they have, you know, I think in Hollywood, they really focused on trying to make the film, these bigger films, like as appealing to the widest audience as possible. So I feel like in the translation process, it lost like a little bit of those tiny special things that I loved about it. Like the book itself is set in Virginia and West Virginia and it, it has like a little bit more of a lived in Southern feel than the film does. Um, They've kind of changed different things around in order to get the story going faster. And there were certain changes that they made where I was like, Oh, why didn't I think of doing that? It would have solved this like X, Y, Z pacing problem that I struggled with for months. Why didn't I think of that? And then um, there were other moments where they just like so completely nailed the image that I had in my head. So it really was kind of a balance. It was, you know, it became almost like a group project. It was a story that had lived in my head for so long, and then it was fascinating and really uh, remarkable to see other people's interpretation of the story and the characters. But did the characters look at all like the people you pictured? Yeah, most of them were pretty close. It was really yeah. interesting. Um, I would say, like, it was... You know, I had no say in casting. This is the thing that, like, drives readers crazy, I think, is when they're like, will you cast me in the movie? And the authors are like, I have zero say in this. I am lucky if they let me read the script. That's sort of the, I think there's sort of like a stereotype in Hollywood where there's, like, the meddling author who's unhappy with, like, every part of the adaptation. So they do, I would say, like, I was kept a little bit at, a little bit at an arm's length just while they were making the film because I think, I don't know. And I'm very, as you can tell, probably relaxed about the whole whole process. So I would not have been a meddler, but I think they might've had some bad experiences with authors, like really throwing down the gauntlet over casting choices and different storytelling choices that they were making. But yeah, I had no say in the cast, um, but they were, they are all wonderful. Like I felt so lucky to have ended up with the cast that I did. And I got to know them um, pretty well as we were doing some different, you know, doing the whole promotional circus around yeah. the film's release. Well, well, cool. Um, back to the the story uh, of lore and why um, why pull from Greek mythology? Why why is that a fascination of yours? So. When I was introduced to Greek mythology at a very young age, my mom's side of the family is Greek. And so, you know, as a way to kind of start talking about that side of... So these were just family stories, right? 
Oh, yeah, you know, my divine family. So, yeah, obviously ancient Greece and modern Greece are very, very, very different. But I think she kind of forgot how dark and twisted some of these stories are. Maybe, like, not totally age-appropriate, but I love them. I guess I was that kid that was into kind of, like, dark, sad things. But, um, yeah, I just, I love that the stories were, like, very morally gray. There are no easy answers in them. The gods constantly misbehave. They're not, like, paragons of virtue or anything like that. Um, In fact, they are often very petty, and they are constantly doing horrible things to each other and to humans. Um, I love that heroes were allowed to have this heroic big journey and arc only then to fall into disgrace later. Um, It really is a fascinating set of stories. And I wanted to kind of explore some discomfort that I had had even as a kid with, you know, the amount of sexual violence that's in these stories. I wanted to explore that like anger and resentment I felt towards the stories that depicted women as, you know, being very constrained in what they were allowed to do and for being punished for showing like ambition and anger and jealousy. So it was very satisfying for adult Alex to address some of these issues that young Alex took issue with um, as a kid. That's interesting. And I was going to ask you, because you are kind of um, flipping the script a little bit by making the main character in this this uh, Greek mythology-inspired adventure, female. Yeah, and it was honestly, like, we had kind of toyed with the idea of changing the book's title into something, like, usually with book titles, you want something that's, like, very memorable and something that, like, if you were to type the title into Google or Twitter or whatever, it would, like, bring up that exact book. Like, lore is a very... You know, it's been used by a lot of things. It's been used by podcasts, a TV series, and all of that. So it's not so unique, but it felt so important to both my editor and I to name the story after the character because that's essentially like with the Odyssey that's named after its hero. Yeah, it's very much her story, and she kind of gets to become a hero on her own terms without necessarily being the kind of hero that her ancestor Perseus was. She wouldn't want to be that kind of hero anyway, so... It was really fun to play with the different tropes of that, like, heroic journey and to kind of flip them on their heads or reimagine how they would fit within New York City. With, um, now that you're writing full-time, do you finish a project or do you have multiple projects going on at the same time? Um, Well, I will say 2020 kind of threw a wrench in my plans. Um, but normally like in a regular non-pandemic year, I'm working on technically three projects at once. I'm drafting a story, I'm editing a story, and then I'm trying, I'm like gearing up to promote another story that's releasing that year. Laura was really unique in that because of the pandemic and because there were furloughs at my publisher, we, and I ended up having like a lot of time to work on the book, a lot more time editing it, um, a lot more editorial voices weighing in. So I think the book ultimately really benefited from that slower pace through the publication journey. But yeah, usually it's like a little bit of a mad dash to get the book, one book finished, another book edited, and then the third book out the door onto bookshelves. Now, the the target audience is young adults, but this seems a little, um, 
I don't know, lengthy maybe. Um, you know, it's 466 I, pages. It, it seems long to me. It, <laughs> for some reason, I just write long books. I think I love long stories as a kid and a teenager, and so that is translated into me writing these longer stories. But I will say it is definitely, I think, more on the older end of YA. It's probably best for, like, 14 and up because they do talk about, you know, the sexual violence that's in the mythology. There are some more serious subjects covered, and there's violence because it's a hunt. Um, I really did feel like I had to, like, own up to and respect kind of the darkness that's within the actual mythological stories. Uh, so you you get a little bit of that. It's ultimately like a very hopeful story, I would say. It's about finding resilience in the darkest of times. It was a great 2020 companion in that way um, and finding and harnessing your inner strength. But yes, I would say it's on the older end of YA, but I do think adults, especially adults who like really action-packed books, like the Hunger Games, or who love Marvel movies, for example, but like, you know, some additional depth in their in those characters, those main characters who go through big journeys. I think they will like this book. Have you have you had feedback yet from uh, from readers on the book? Yes, I've had some wonderful feedback. I'm like very excited. It's so hard. Like the story lives in your head and only your head for so long, and then all of a sudden. <laughs> readers are picking up the book and they are engaging with the characters and one of the professional reviews, I consider this like the highest pandemic compliment you could give a book. One of the professional reviews said that the book was like perfect, a perfect read for a really dull weekend. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I was going for. I love really <laughs> escapist fiction, you know, and like being able to kind of forget your own worries and your own troubles for a couple hours and just, be along for the ride. That's almost a double-sided compliment. It, 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 I know. it sounds like well, this, this, this is this is great <laughs> when you have nothing else to do. To do, yeah. <laughs> the review publication is Kirkus, and they are like very notorious for kind of that like backhanded compliment. So I'm like, you know what? You may have meant that as backhanded, but that is actually like exactly what I was aiming for. I really wanted it to just you know delight readers and to be that escapist fiction that I think a lot of people are longing for right now, especially with like TV shows and movies being delayed. So other reviews were not quite as snarky, but I will take <laughs> that backhanded compliment and I will wear it like a badge of honor. It's no, it's, it's fun. More with number one, New York times bestselling author, Alexandra Bracken about her new book, Lore straight. Up. <laughs>
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with number one New York Times bestselling author Alexandra Bracken about her new book, Lore, straight ahead. Um, you said that the pandemic kind of put a cloud over your work, and I... I really half expected when you brought up the pandemic to to hear you say that, you know, you you hunkered down and you got a lot of writing done. I have wondered about that with um, other writers, uh, and and we've talked about that a little bit. Um, was was the the pandemic? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe a motivation kill. You know what? I would say I I thought the same thing. I thought I would be incredibly productive this year and be churning out story after story because I wouldn't be traveling and I wouldn't have my like my workflow interrupted. Um, but I will say, like, I think this has been true kind of across the board for people that 2020 was so anxiety ridden or ridden that it was hard for people to focus on work and it was hard for people. I'm used to I write from home. I work from home. That was not an adjustment for me, but I think, you know, people missed their routines and things got slowed down on the publishing side too, because all of a sudden printers were closed and then there are supply issues because everyone is trying to get books shipped out and all of that. So it really was, it's been an interesting challenge for the publishing industry and especially for the indie bookstores. I would like love to just add quickly that if you have a local independent bookstore in your community, please consider buying some books from them, especially now that the holidays are over. I think they would really, really appreciate it. That's a great point, and uh, maybe uh, a a great point to go out on because we are almost out of time. I wish we had more time. You're fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. You're fun to talk to, too. (laughs) Um, And I I wish we could continue on and have lots more fun. But uh, so our listeners can join in on the fun and learn more about what we've been talking about, more about you and your work, past, present, and future. I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Do you have a website? I know you do because I've been I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me online at alexandrabracken.com, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at alexbracken. Well, Alex, it's been a real delight talking with you. Thanks so much for uh, sharing some time and some uh, thoughts about the new book, Lore. And uh, would you like to see it become a movie? You know what? I think I really would. I, have my fingers <laughs> I thought you might. I'm not going to attempt fate. But. <laughs> I think Laura kind of lends herself to the big screen. But in any event, um, we've got to wrap it up there. But thanks again so much, and, and Happy New Year again. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. Take care. That was uh, Alex Bracken, as as you heard uh, just now, talking about her uh, new book, Lore, and uh, and some other things as well. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. <laughs> What's what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. 
I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. 
Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. Staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 